soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. As we come back to the story of Balak and Balaam, Balak is the king of Moab, and Balaam is the prophet that we don't know much about. We studied in detail last week topically that as Moses and the children of Israel were coming on their wilderness wandering on the east side of the Jordan River in the Dead Sea, and they're getting prepared to enter into the promised land that God had promised them, it's been almost 40 years, the wilderness wandering, it's coming to an end. And there are people being prepared to go in. They've already conquered Sihon and Og, the kings on the east side. They had no intention to go to war with Moab. They didn't want to mess with Moab. Moab is the descendants of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. But Balak, not a man of faith, a man who worships uh, false gods. He thinks the worst case scenario doesn't go to Moses and say, hey, what's your intentions here? He just presumes the worst. So he gives money for hire to go hire Balaam, this prophet, from up by the Syrian Iraqi area, and Balaam refuses him the first time, and then the second time Balaam concedes. Remember the first time the Lord said to him, Don't go with these guys, don't curse Israel, I've blessed them. It was a no, no, and a yes, what God had in for Israel and for for Balaam. But Balaam was determined to go, and we know for the whole story of Balaam that he does go. He pronounces four prophecies, and we studied this on Tuesday night. He has four oracles where he speaks over the nation of Israel. And Balak, the king, wanted him to curse them, but he blesses them all four times. The progressive prophecies where they get better and better for the people of faith and the children of Israel, where the fourth prophecy actually is a prophetic word concerning Jesus Christ. So the irony of this this prophet who had his donkey talk to him, who's in the New Testament for being a, a bad guy and whatnot, he still spoke truth concerning the future of Jesus Christ and concerning the nation of Israel. Eventually, he gave counsel to Balak how to get the people of Israel in trouble, get them to worship your false gods with your beautiful women, to commit sexual morality, and then you don't have to curse them because God will chase them. That's exactly what happened. Balaam didn't get away with anything. He got his wealth, most likely, but it was the wages of unrighteousness, the New Testament calls it. He was struck down by the sword of Israel. We see that later on in the book of Numbers. And Balak was struck down by the sword of Israel, so they came to nothing. That's the whole panoramic view of these guys, continuing part two from last week. But as we come to our text tonight in chapter 23, there's a very interesting word, an oracle, that I think is very timely and appropriate for us as the body of Christ on January 9th, 2021, sharing planet Earth with the human race, with all that's gone on, what's going on, and what will continue to go on in our timeline. In chapter 23, Balaam gave the first oracle, and it began with the most simple statement that how can I curse whom God has not cursed? That's a consistent thread with his four oracles. And then his second oracle came there in uh, 
verse 13, this second oracle where they go and Balak says, no, you need to curse them. Let's get a different perspective. And in this second oracle, we pick it up in verse 18, where this is the oracle of Balaam concerning Israel, the second of the four. So then he took up his oracle and said this, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent or recant. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Now, the third oracle talks about his kingdom being an almighty kingdom, unstoppable kingdom, and the fourth oracle concerning the scepter of Jesus Christ. So these do build, and I want to give you that context. But What an appropriate and profound statement comes for us here in verse 19, as Balaam tells him in verse 18, listen to me, Balak, you're fighting God. And here, this this man, Balaam, who would be struck down by God, yet speaks the truth for God. For everything he says in these oracles is true. And here in verse 19, this phrase, God is not a man. And then part two of it is, nor a son of man. As we look at these two verses, 19 and 20, let us meditate tonight as a, as a family, for most of us know each other pretty well, as a church family. We've been through a lot in 2020, and we're looking at plenty in 2021 and an uncertain future. Tonight, we want to meditate on this phrase that God is not a man. God is not a man. Now, we know that, but sometimes it's good to meditate and really think about who God is, his nature, his character, his power, his attributes, his revealed word, what he stands for and what he stands against. Because God is not a man. And so often, people erect for themselves altars and gods of their own mind who are gods of men. So Moloch is the god who kills babies because people have been killing babies since the dawn of creation. So Moloch became a god of men who you offer your unwanted babies to. Moloch. There's gods of war, gods of lust like Ashtoreth. Men, the descendants of Adam and Eve men and women, have long built for themselves gods and goddesses, Greek gods that took on Roman names under the Roman Empire, that reflect fallen men and fallen humanity. They reflect the passions of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And even now in our world, where Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way by which we can come to the Father, there are many competing God's against Jesus. But as God said in the book of Isaiah, I am the Lord, I am God, and there is no other. So in the midst of this fascinating story, after Israel had just received the law of God a few decades prior, there are people of covenant for less than 40 years. The new generation is arising. The old generation has died off, everyone over 20. Moses is going to die soon. Joshua is older and he'll be the new leader. And only Caleb is over 20 from that group from the time of Kadesh Barina, some 38 years before this. 
God declares to this nation that's about to go into its promises and enter into everything God has for them as a people, according to God's promises, he says through Balaam to Balak, God is not a man, nor is he the God of men, nor is he a son of man. In this context, we keep that in mind. God is not a man. We've looked at men. We've listened to men. We've watched women and men of great power make many decisions affect our lives profoundly in the last 10 months. Men and women that we've trusted, no matter what our worldview is, and we've watched them make decisions. We've watched people in the healthcare, the very highest level, say, trust me, and then tell us just a few weeks ago, I was lying earlier because you wouldn't accept the truth, but you can trust me now. God is not a man, nor the son of man, of a man. Our vision is simple and clear under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he can be trusted in all things. We trust him with our soul, our life, and our future, and everything we love and hold dear. So, in this text, God is not a man, nor a son of man. Let's think about his character. The first thing we see about God is not a man is that he doesn't lie. God is not a man that lies. Men lie. Men conspire. Men deceive. God said in the book of Proverbs, there's things he hates, and one thing he hates is people who shuffle the feet and wink the eye. That's backdoor conspiracies. That's saying one thing and meaning another. That's not how God is. There's no sliding of the hands. He also hates an unjust scale. An unjust scale is a lie. He doesn't do that. We're told, even lest we think that God would lie in his character, we're told in the the New Testament it's impossible for God to lie. It is completely against his nature. God never, ever has lied, nor will he ever lie. God is outside time, space, and matter. God is not like us. See, we want to compare our understanding of God in our finite mind, to our understanding of a human being, because that's the best we can do in our finite mind. But God tells us, don't do that. Because as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and ways above you. And the secret things belong to the Lord, but what I've revealed belongs to you and to your children. So the moment we think we're really wise and we can outsmart God and we can judge his word or judge his character or think we know something about him other than what he's revealed about himself in his word and his character, we become the wisdom of men, but we're told in the Old Testament, New Testament that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. God is the great I am. We only have to go back to that fire at the burning bush with Moses when God says, take off your sandals for you stand on holy ground. That fire did not consume the bush. That's the holy fire. That's the tongues of fire. Maybe that's what the fire became when Meshach, Shachar, and Abengo were there with the son of man, Jesus, in the fire. Not sure, but they didn't smell like fire, so that seems like a supernatural fire. But when God revealed himself at the burning bush to Moses, Moses said, who would I say sent me? Like, who do I say sent me? Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Marx, 
Lenin? Who do I say sent me? I am that I am. That means the all-sufficient one. And when Jesus was walking the earth and he claimed to be, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and he claimed to be God, when he said before Abraham, I am, he took the title of the burning bush and the Jewish leaders knew exactly what he meant and they picked up stones to stone him for taking that title. And for this cause, he was crucified for no sin, for five different people, including the Roman government said, I find no fault in this man. He was exonerated by everybody, including the Roman guard of the cross. Surely this was an innocent man. It was for being God for which he was crucified. Know that he makes himself out to be God. The father revealed himself to Moses in the bush and said, I am that I am all sufficient one. That means he doesn't need us. That means he's outside our universe. When we step into eternity, and we've had many loved ones go before us, it is so profoundly different than everything we understand. We have to put on these glorified bodies. Our whole understanding changes profoundly. And we know that there's no more tears or sorrow, and we know that this life would have a meaning and purpose for eternity, for we know we give an account for our lives in eternity, and what we receive in eternity is based upon our faithfulness or lack thereof in eternity. So we know this matters. But when we step into eternity, it's such a different dimension that we cannot grasp it in our cognitive capacities as human beings. And God declares that. So by faith, like Jesus said, the faith of a child, we simply have to receive and believe that God is the self-sustained one apart from all of us. And he's not got a start and a finish linear like each of us when we were conceived and came into the world when we breathed our last. He's not like that. He's of a completely different dimension. He's got over the entire universe, the billions of galaxies. He holds the stars in the width of his hand, if you will, and he knows all of them by name. He knows the hairs on our head. God is not a man that he would lie. And God is not the son of man that he would recant or repent. So the beauty of being here tonight is a ride around God who does not lie and does not need to recant or repent of anything. Every song we've ever sung here for almost 18 years is a song that transcends time, space, and matter for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Every Bible says we've gone through the Bible more than once. Whether it's Jeremy Foster teaching verse by verse or Raul Diaz or Jason Wright, the different people that have taught here, the different people that have led worship here and all that we are 18 years into this experience as a church family. We've worshiped the one who's not a man and does not lie and does not need to recant. Isn't that comforting on January 9th? We're not building our house upon the sand. Our house is already built upon the rock because there's no God like our rock and our God is a rock and he says so. So we shouldn't be moved by anything Because the sands and winds and tides and floods of humanity come and go with every generation, but our God's a rock. He does not lie. It's not in his character. He he can't lie. It's contrary to his character. Maybe you think, like, there's things that we can't do as human beings. We can't fly on our own, right? We just physically can't do that. And of ourselves, we can't just fly. Like, we just can't do that. There's certain other things. We We can't hold our breath for 30 minutes underwater. Right? There's just certain things we can't do. Physically. 
by the natural laws of the universe that God's designed. God is who he is. Whether 8 billion people on this planet want to believe it or not, he is who he is. And he's I am. He does not lie. So worship generations, we begin a new year. Rejoice that when we're singing these songs, we're not singing to a man or a woman of great power. We're not praising Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, or Catherine the Great, or Peter the Great, Louis the Sun King, the 14th, the greatest ruler ever probably of Europe, or any other monarch, you know, William and Mary, you know, whoever of the greatest. We're not praising Stalin or Hitler or any of these people that at times we're praised by the masses. No. We're praising who the church has praised for 2,000 years. God who's not a man who does not lie. So as we build our lives in 2021, as we go forward, we take great joy in knowing that like, God's got everything. We can trust every word he says. He's never going to lie. He's never going to lie to you. You've been lied to in relationships. You've been lied to in business. You've certainly been lied to by government and people in power. He will never, ever lie to us. When you open your Bible and you read Genesis all the way to Revelation, you will never read anything that's a lie. You'll only be reading truth, and that's why we should be reading our Bibles now more than ever. The spies, the 10 spies brought back a bad report because they didn't believe. Be the one of the two spies that reads the Bible, believes it, and gives a good report. Because that's who we are. That's our legacy for us. I'm so joyful this night in the Lord Jesus Christ that as I read my Bible this morning in Luke 17, and as I teach this Bible tonight to you, God does not lie. So good. Our confidence, the foundation of all of our confidence in the human experience of our life and what we're building our life upon is not upon professors, politicians, philosophers of bygone eras, or religious leaders of men, or gods of men. The confidence that we're going to rise from the grave once we breathe our last is based upon what God promises us through his son, by his son, and God does not lie. So when you and I are preparing to breathe our last and we're staring down the grave, you just stare it down. You stare it down like there's no tomorrow. Like Daniel staring down a lion in the lion's den. Because our God does not lie. And as you've been saying, all the promises are yes and amen. Right. Now, second thing. So we're built on the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. When you believe that and you apprehend that and lay hold of that, that's what we mean by let God be true and every man a liar. I mean, you know all my go-to verses. It's like, I don't, do I ever teach a Bible study and not say let God be true and every man's a liar? God is light and him is no darkness at all. Right? Like, do you understand why I say those things? Because you walk out of here and there are liars. <laughs> and there are people that say God is darkness, but God is light. And there's no shadow of turning with the Lord, with the Father of lights. But also God doesn't recant. Now, aren't you glad God never has to get up and ever say he's sorry? Can you imagine if we're gathered here and we're worshiping Jesus and, you know, Jesus is in our midst right now. He's in our midst. Could you imagine if, like, we had the audacity and the guile? Because some people do curse God and certainly people are blaspheming God. I mean, there was rioting going on earlier last year where they were blaspheming Jesus Christ. They were cursing Jesus Christ. I don't know why they're cursing Jesus Christ while they're burning federal buildings, but they did because you can, well, you could have or maybe you still can. I don't know. You can do that sometimes in the human experience. 
Can you imagine us saying, like, Jesus, you owe us an explanation? Jesus, you need to say you're sorry? You say you're sorry because you didn't, you know, heal my mom or make this marriage work out or save my son or what? You know what I'm saying? Like, that would just, it's just, it's, 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 an, it's an anthema to even say that. It's blasphemous to even think like that. We're worshiping Jesus because we know he's good. He doesn't have to get up and say he's sorry. Now, I could get up and say I'm sorry for a lot of things. And if I, you know, like, so could you. We need to say we're sorry. That's part of growing in the Lord. Hopefully we don't have to say we're sorry for the same things over and over. But it's a healthy thing for us in 2021 when we've been convicted because the word of God convicts us. You know, we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the word of God reproves us, it corrects us. So when God's words reproving us and correct us, like God betray a man a liar, okay, I'm the liar, God's true, it corrects me, and I need to say, I'm sorry. I need to say, I'm sorry to the Lord, like David, against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. Psalm 51, I need to say, I'm sorry. And we might need to, you know, make things right. Jesus said, before you go to the judge, go to that person and make restitution. Make it right. We just need to say we're sorry. And I've said this many times. But if we can just acknowledge when we're wrong, accept it, and humble ourselves, and then be willing to take that next step of humility and saying we're sorry to a person, I have found nine times out of ten it'll make everything much better. Now, one in ten, it kind of doesn't, no matter what, because some people don't want to receive your sorry, and no matter what you say, you can never appease them. you got to recognize them quickly and not let them poison and wreck your life. They're toxic people. You still got to, as it says in Romans 13, live, as much is up to you, live peacefully with all men, and Nothing's worse than saying you're sorry and people don't accept it, right? Like you have to humble yourself to say you're sorry and say you're sorry and then they don't accept it. That's pretty brutal. Some of us know what that feels like. That hurts, but it shouldn't make you any less sorry. Because ultimately our sin's against the Lord and if we need to make it right with somebody, we make it right with the Lord and then we try and make it right with people. If they accept it, great. Like Abraham Lincoln said, have I not lost an enemy when they become my friend? If you can do that, great. But if they're still gonna be your enemy, what can you do? They might be your enemy because they don't like the way you look. They might be your enemy because they don't like your, God's blessings on your life. They might be your enemy because of your skin color or your gender or whatever, your education or lack of education. There's no shortages of why human beings hate other human beings. And maybe they think they're God, so they have the right not to forgive you. But as long as you make it right with God, you recant, I recant, we recant, we repent. And then we do what we can to make it right with other people. We're going to have a very healthy life in 2021. We just keep giving it to the Lord. We'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. That's how we want to be. God is not a son of man that he needs to repent. See, there's a lot of people, because of their worldviews and the decisions they make and how they see things from their moral prism, they would want God to repent. The fact that God defines a man and a woman genetically, there's many people in the name of pseudo-education that think God owes them an apology to think that actually God made men and women and that's it. But that's what he did make. Obviously, we know that. Anyone knows that. Science confirms that. It's ludicrous to think anything other than that. But there's people that hate Jesus because they think there's more than two genders. And they would want God to recant and repent. How dare you be so narrow-minded to think there's a, a, a men's bathroom and a women's bathroom? If I told you these things four years ago, you would have thought I was nuts. But it's all happening fast. Because the father of lies, who always lies and is a murderer, is perpetrating the biggest of all lies imaginable. Very quickly. 
But know this, as we read our Bible, as we receive his word, as we praise his name, Jesus will never need to interrupt a song and say, I'm really sorry about what I did. (laughs) Your pastor may need to say that, and maybe even our worship leaders may need to say that. Jesus Christ, who we're here for, who we're abiding in, who we're looking to as the author and finisher of our faith, he will never after, ever, ever have to apologize to any of us for anything he's ever done. Because God is good and God is light. And him is no darkness at all. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If we built our life around our confidence in men and women, and all of our hope is in them, and it all falls apart, we might want an apology. And even people that you don't like, sometimes when you see them apologize, you're like, okay, yeah. Like, it's kind of in us that when someone apologizes, even if you can't stand them from work or their political worldviews or their philosophies, when they say they're sorry, you kind of like, there's something humbling about someone saying they're sorry. That kind of humbles you while they say it. Jesus never, ever, ever will have to recant or recount or say he's sorry. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.